are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Thank you, Erica, for reading. I've been eager to begin this study with you, spiritual gifts. We've been talking about it, and it's fun to mark these first together as well. Last year when we studied Romans for the first time in short history of this community. So here we are, our first ever study in spiritual gifts. And I don't know if that term says a lot to you, or maybe really not much at all. It's not going to matter. What I want to tell you is watch out when a local church starts discovering the spiritual gifts of its members. Watch out when individual followers of Jesus will discover and unite the spiritual gifts that God has given to you through the working of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just draw on an analogy that I think will connect with a good number of us. Some of you play on sports teams if you're young enough. Some of us are looking in the rearview mirror and can remember those years fondly when you played on a team. I enjoyed a lot of different kinds of sports, but the one I eventually settled on was soccer. I remember the early years as that was taking shape, you know, it's like a swarm of bees just hovering around the ball, and the jerseys aren't fancy, it's just the green team, the red team, the black team, at least where I grew up, it was just different colored t-shirts. And the soccer skills can hardly be referred to as skills at that stage. But as time went on, even in a single season, even early on, you can see the skills start to develop. And the increase of soccer knowledge and the ability to function as a team. By the time I started high school, we had a core group of soccer players who were really starting to gel together and the varsity coach was glad to assimilate us into his high school program. By our junior year, we went to the state tournament in Madison. This was in Wisconsin. I grew up in Hudson. And over there, their divisions run by... It's the opposite of here. So here, Dave, name me, it's letters, right? Wisconsin, it's numbers. So it was Division I, and we were headed to the state tournament. There we were, the Hudson Raiders, the soccer team that had really taken shape over many years. And as you know from your own teams, it takes each one who is bringing his or her particular strength to the table, to the team. 
And as I think back, I think about those who contributed in a special way. Now, I'll start in the, the back of the field, just mention a few of them. Folks, of course, unknown to you, but you can go back to your team and think of who those teammates were. Patrick was our sweeper, the last man standing before the goalie. And he just had a way of sweeping up whatever ball was coming in and interrupting that last offensive push towards the goal. Right in front of him was Josh. He was the stopper. And Josh had a motor that just wouldn't quit. Maybe he had a teammate like that. You know, just 100 miles an hour all the time, interrupting plays, intercepting the ball. Then there was my good friend Jeremy. He was our attacking center midfielder. And Jeremy on our team, probably I think we would all said had the highest skill set. He later went on to play in the Big Ten. And Jeremy had such command of the sport. He had also a vision for the field. You ever seen that? Even just watching, you know, that hockey player or this baseball player, just such a high sports IQ. And that was Jeremy. Then there was me. Somebody had to warm the bench, right? No, my contribution was I was left-footed. I'm right-handed, but of all odd things, I was left-footed. And so early on, I gravitated towards the left side of the field where I love to just run up and down that sideline at the outside position and be able to cross the ball in, those big flanks in in front of the goal. And we played well together as we each found our spot, and it started to click. And it took each person contributing in his way. It's an imperfect analogy to start for a variety of reasons, but I think that you get the idea as we apply it to spiritual gifts. Now, unlike a sports team, spiritual gifts are not skills that you just acquire by some natural means. They're not even just like natural abilities or talents that somehow you get better at. It may overlap with things that you're naturally good at, but what we're about to discover is what it means that God would supernaturally equip you for something, something that would be about carrying out his purpose in the church. The spiritual gifts are really the ways that the Holy Spirit shows up And you can see it. And it's an awesome thing to discover together. And after 12 years, I think it's probably high time that we open up Scripture and we spend a few weeks exploring spiritual gifts. Today's week one of six. So this is going to take us through Memorial Day. And because it's week one, I want to just give a quick overview of what we'll cover in these weeks. I've selected for us what I think are five, six of the main passages across the New Testament about spiritual gifts. We'll start today in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, this chapter is so important and so long, we're actually going to have it for three weeks. So we'll bookend our series that way, here in week one, and then weeks five and six. We'll go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and keep reading the chapter. But in the intervening weeks, we're going to spend a Sunday each in 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, which is the fivefold gifts of ministry that will have a little bit more of a leadership bent to it. And then Romans chapter 12. And what I hope to show you by visiting these various chapters is really that we would paint a picture, a comprehensive, compelling picture for you of spiritual gifts. And if you already know about spiritual gifts, I hope you'll find renewed passion and zeal for what God has entrusted to you. And if it is all new, well, I pray that this is just going to light your faith up in newfound ways. And really equip you to experience mission with the church at a whole new level. We'll begin here now with spiritual gifts. And yet I don't want to miss the subtitle. Serving the common good for the glory of God. 
And I'll admit it's a little bit long for a subtitle. But each portion says something critical about where we're going and what spiritual gifts are for. So there's three parts to it. Serving. You are going to find Sunday after Sunday, the word serving is coming up in these passages. And that they're for the common good, the purpose of teamwork. Going back to that sports analogy. That's part of today's passage for sure. And next week in 1 Peter 4, we'll add the doxology that spiritual gifts are given to you, to us collectively, ultimately to glorify God. So there we have it. A little purpose statement for the whole subject. Serving the common good for the glory of God. And without further ado, let's get started with verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, it says, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I took our message title today, Now Concerning Spiritual Gifts, from the NASB, another good Bible translation. But ironically, did you know the term spiritual gifts as such never appears in the Bible? At least not verbatim. Even here, it doesn't actually say the word gifts in the original. Depending on your translation, it might appear in italics to indicate this is a word we had to fill in to complete the translation. In Greek, you can have adjectives that stand alone. Then you have to figure out what it's referring to, and there are a couple of ways you do that. The adjective noun here is spiritual, but spiritual what? It literally says now concerning the spiritual. And in English, we're just begging for a noun with spiritual things, spiritual matters, spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts is a well-grounded choice that you'd find in a lot of translations. Or like the NIV here says, the gifts of the Spirit. And that's because of the context and because the word gifts appears in other places for this topic. But I also want to share some of the others. Other word choices from the New Testament. Sometimes they're referred to as graces. Sometimes workings. And sometimes manifestations which is not a word we use a lot, but it's one of my favorites around this topic because manifestation, if you think about that word, what's a manifestation of spring? I'm driving into church this morning and the grass is turning green, right? So a manifestation, you can see that the Holy Spirit is here. That's what that word indicates. And Paul turns to this topic now in his letter because the Corinthians have struggled so much in the area of spiritual gifts. And whenever Paul says, my brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Some of you maybe can picture a parent or hear a parent's voice and like the way they would preface some stern instruction. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Corinthians 1. And it's Paul's understated way of saying, now listen up. I want you to be very informed about this. Because something has gone awry. He's saying, I'm very concerned about your understanding of spiritual gifts. And that's how he introduces it. And it's true if we were to summarize what we see in 1 Corinthians, the whole book. First of all, this was a church that was struggling. So some of the churches Paul writes to in the New Testament, there's a lot of things going really well. And he writes and encourages them. Philippians would be a great example. There's other letters that he writes where there's a lot of correcting to do. Corinthians was one of those places. Secondly, for the topic at hand, one of the areas that they were missing, they were really misusing, was spiritual gifts. And if there's one extra piece of devotional reading or study that you could take into the week, flip to chapter 14. 
and read that sometime this week. We're not going to get to that chapter in our series, but it's where Paul details the problems around this area in Corinth. And in short, they had elevated the gift of speaking in tongues, which we'll get to in the list, above every other spiritual gift. Like the more dramatic and supernatural appearing the gift was, they put a pecking order around it. And their idea was, well, speaking in tongues is the queen of all gifts. And if you're really a spiritual person, then you'll speak in tongues. And worship services were falling into chaos as people would get up and try to outdo one another in the speaking of tongues. So in this letter, Paul sets out to correct that. And that's what's forming now his words in this list today. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Let's get this figured out. And then verses 2 and 3 in the text go into this contrast. And I'm just going to paraphrase that part of the passage for us. Paul is saying there essentially, Corinthians, remember your old life. And some of us can turn around and look back and remember very well our old life. This is where I used to be. This is the way it was before I met Jesus. And he's saying, remember your old life when you worshipped idols. He says, that was then, but now you're following Jesus. And No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is Lord was a key little phrase. I mean, we'd almost skip over it so short and sweet. But Jesus is Lord was like the first way in the early church that you professed your faith. That you made a public declaration that Jesus was Messiah. He was Savior and you were following him. You know, the Jews considered that statement blasphemy. And the Romans with their cults, well, they had many gods who they all referred to as lords. In fact, later on in history, they'd even refer to Caesar as Lord, and they would worship him as such. So when you said Jesus is Lord, that meant you meant business. And in some cases, you were risking your life to make that profession of faith. And Paul's saying, nobody just says that casually. Like, if you say that in their world, you believe it. And the Holy Spirit is at work. So let's put it into its overall context. Speaking in tongues by itself, Paul is saying, doesn't mean it's a genuine spiritual gift. It might sound impressive, might look impressive, but it has got to be made intelligible to edify, to build up the church. Remember to read chapter 14 and you'll see him address this. And Paul is saying, this is all tested by the true confession of the Lordship of Jesus. So if you want to know if somebody's the real deal versus a spiritual fake, It rests on their true confession of faith. And now Paul moves into some of the core teaching on spiritual gifts. And look at the parallels in verses 4 to 6. You're going to see this great balance in the passage, the diversity of gifts and the one God who gives all of them. It says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. You can see how it goes back and forth. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And you see the different words that pop there for spiritual gifts. Gifts, service, working. And in the original, they're all plural. We don't see that in English. But they are, which really emphasizes the variety. And then in the second half of the statement, you see anything there? Spirit, Lord, God. This is the first official formulation of the Trinity in the early church. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Lord is Jesus, the Son of God, and God, that last one referring to God the Father. And if I may draw us back to that soccer team or sports analogy, 
we are reminded of the sheer variety of spiritual gifts in play in the church and that will be represented and are represented across this room. And Paul is counteracting any sense that one gift is greater than the other. That in the church, that somehow, you know, table to table, person to person, we would say, well, we have some really super spiritual people, and then we have some more ordinary people. Paul squashes it, and then he comes to that great purpose statement right in the middle of the passage. Verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now if common good sounds a little stuffy maybe or is throwing you off, let me share with you what the NLT says and translates. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's the common good. That is the team winning the game. And notice, this is so critical for us today as we begin, that no follower of Jesus is left out. Now to each one, and 1 Peter 4 says, to each one. And Ephesians 4 says, to each one. And so does Romans 12. And you know what that means? It means that if you here this morning have staked your claim on Jesus as Lord, if you have made that heartfelt declaration, you've committed your life to Christ, then you have a spiritual gift. Some of you have never thought about your life and faith in those terms before. The Bible says you have one. At least one. You might have more than one. That's possible. And you maybe didn't even know you had it. You maybe have been underplaying your role, in a sense. Thinking you were just the bench warmer when you're meant to be on the field. And so I hope in these weeks you are going to discover your spiritual gift. Without exception, every one of us. A gift that's been perhaps waiting to be put to use for the common good and the glory of God. Well, you might wonder, what kind of gift do I have? I guess maybe I do. Well, what is it? And I'm glad you asked. Let's move into the first list that we'll come into these weeks, verses 8 to 10. Our first list of spiritual gifts. Now, this list is not exhaustive. None of the lists are, actually, week to week that we'll look at. Each week we'll see some overlap, some will be mentioned again, but then we'll add new ones to the mix. So it's not a complete set that we look at today. There'll be more that we'll add. This is a list of nine that Paul is naming, and it's to show the variety of gifts and remember where he's going. He wants to correct the misuse of tongues. That's why he finishes there, and he'll come to that more fully in chapter 14. So, the list today, we're going to start to give these things some definition, and we'll add a little bit week to week. And I also want to remind us that some of these definitions are a little bit up for debate. Not in their main substance, but in some of the nuances. So if you have heard something else, maybe some of you come from a background where you've studied these things, or you've just been reading in Scripture, and and maybe you would define it differently than I will right now. I'll be the first to say, that's okay. There is room. There's wiggle room on these things. And part of the reason is, never in the Bible are we given an exact dictionary definition. Which, you know, as Americans in the 21st century, sometimes we really like to have. 
So, with regard to this list, remember Paul's aim here is to ramp up into some of the more visibly remarkable gifts, which you'll see. And that is so he can land on his topic, this favorite of the Corinthians of speaking in tongues. The first in the list is a message of wisdom. Sophia, wisdom. Or as it's more commonly known, a word of wisdom. And certainly these first two gifts we're going to see, the word of wisdom and word of knowledge, go back to the earlier parts of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 1, Paul talks a lot about wisdom, and so it's no surprise his letters are just fabulously structured, that he picks up spiritual gifts right there where he started the letter. And in short, a word of wisdom is when someone has keen insight into a specific situation or a person's life in such a way as to lead them into greater maturity and holiness. A word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is similar to wisdom and was also a buzzword for the Corinthians. They were always trying to find hidden wisdom and hidden knowledge. And Paul is now taking these terms and he's redefining in terms of the church. And a word of knowledge is when someone is able to understand and speak things about life and about this world we live in that are deeply rooted in the gospel and the scriptures. That's word of knowledge. Faith, let's go to that one, third on the list. Pretty self-explanatory when we come to this one. Except we need to differentiate the faith that all of us are called to in Christ, trusting in Christ, with the kind of faith that's meant here. Faith as a spiritual gift is a more supernatural kind of faith, like the kind Jesus talks about when he refers to moving mountains. The faith that moves mountains is spiritual gift kind of faith. It's an unwavering belief in God that he will fulfill his promises. Healing, also pretty easy to understand. And yes, the emphasis is on the physical healing of the body. And yet what I'd like to point out about this one, and some of the next ones to follow, is that they are all stated in the plural. So for this one, if you're reading in the Greek New Testament, it would say, gifts of healings, plural. And perhaps the reason that is significant, what they write about, is that this is not necessarily a permanent gift, but it's each occurrence of healing that is the manifestation of the Spirit, the spiritual gift. Miracles, we'll move along quickly. Miracles, literally workings of miracles, pairs with healing and indicates miraculous signs and wonders that would be beyond physical healing. Next on the list, we have prophecy. Now, prophecy is one that features prominently in chapters 13 and 14. Some of you maybe had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding. And what does that one do? It references prophecy. And Paul's going to pick it up in chapter 14. Of course, we know the word prophecy from the Old Testament, and there's a relationship. A prophet was someone who spoke to God's people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Kind of like saying, Here's what God said to me, and then the prophet says, now I'm going to share it with you. It's kind of the go-between. The spiritual gift of prophecy in the New Testament is similar, and yet there's some distinctions. It's a spirit-inspired, intelligible message. And that's key because unlike tongues, prophecy is in our everyday language. For us, English the language that we understand, and it's stated to the gathering of God's people for their edification. So prophecy is a timely word of truth or instruction or correction. 
prophecy or what's called the prophetic has gained quite a bit of attention in recent years or decades and so we're going to talk about this more again in the coming weeks. In fact, I'm delighted to tell you, especially around a topic like spiritual gifts, I just felt like we would benefit from hearing from more than just me, that's for sure. And so I contacted an older, much wiser pastor friend of mine, and I've asked him to come and preach on prophecy and some of the more what we might call charismatic spiritual gifts that, well, I'll speak for myself, that, that I might be less familiar with, and maybe some of you as well. Some of you might know him. His name is Bob Puller. He's a retired pastor from Living Waters out in the country, just north of Elk River. And I've known Bob since 2008 when we moved to Elk River. It was Bob, by the way. I've told this story before. Some of you might remember. It was Bob who walked these grounds in anticipation of the YMCA being built. Isn't that amazing? So all these years later, he's coming back to preach and to share with the Y Church that in the spiritual realm, I think he very much helped plant. So Bob's wired differently than me. He's going to bring a different perspective. And Bob is humble and anchored in Scripture. And I have a deep trust and respect for him. So that's going to be a great Sunday together. But back to our list. Distinguishing spirits is the next one. Sometimes just called discernment. And this one, it, it can be hard to pin down exactly. Some folks think it's like testing spirits as in discerning demonic activity and it may well be that it might also include though this connection to prophecy and a gift where you can properly discern a prophetic word like someone who can hear something and then say and know is this really from the lord that is the distinguishing spirit's gift that brings us to the last pairing then tongues and the interpretation of tongues now let's define tongues before we go into it a little further And let's contrast it to prophecy. Prophecy is speaking to people, one to another. Tongues is speaking to God. So it's vertical communication. Another difference is prophecy, as I said, is in our own language. Here it would be in English. Whereas tongues is unintelligible language to both the speaker and the hearers. That's why in the church assembly, it's necessary to have that last gift. Somebody who can interpret tongues so that the congregation can benefit from what's being spoken and uttered to God. Unless you come from a certain church background, there's a good chance that you maybe have never heard someone speaking in tongues before. And just, just by show of hands, if, it's, if you're comfortable doing this, if you have heard or you think you have heard speaking in tongues before, can we just see a show of hands so we get percentage-wise what that looks like? Right, so less than half But a good number of us look like less than 50%. The sound of tongues is very distinct. It is its own language. It might sound like gibberish. It's this heavenly kind of language. Which is maybe why when we think of the Corinthians, they had overemphasized it. They got so excited about it because it sounded so amazing. But in keeping with what Paul outlines in chapter 14, we also know that speaking in tongues was not meant to be crazy or ecstatic or out of control. Now, I realize today is a tough start, perhaps, because these nine, they start to dig real deep into the most high-profile, supernatural-looking gifts, and part of that is due to Paul's concern to address tongues. But over the weeks, as you come back, as we open the Word, we're going to add all kinds of other things to the mix, and that you'll find on that spiritual gifts assessment, which I'll tell you about here in just two shakes. We're going to add things like hospitality, administration, 
evangelism, teaching, helping others. It's a spiritual gift. Giving, and many, many more to come. And at the Y Church, we decided for this season, we wanted to invest in a resource that we could distribute to everyone. So we can't post it online, but we can distribute it as much as we want to our church family and via our e-bulletin. So we're making that available. And that is this spiritual gifts inventory or assessment. They are on the connections table, and I would encourage you to grab it on your way out, and it's like a take-home assignment for this week or for this afternoon. I reviewed a number of options, and I felt like this one did the best job. It's the right length. It's the right time commitment for each of us to make, and it's going to help you discover your spiritual gifts. And so take that home. If you are in middle school or high school, take it with you. You know, you start to get below that age, and it probably is not going to work yet. But I'd love for our students to complete it as well as we discover our gifts. We also want to give you the opportunity to submit your spiritual gifts to us as a church family. So that's an opt-in for you to consider. But wouldn't it be great if we could like pull together a little crew of people who are all resonating with this spiritual gift and to think about it together. In fact, we'll give you a one-pager. Like, Let's say you identify my spiritual gift is word of knowledge. We're going to give you a one-page PDF for you to take home where you can read all about that spiritual gift and go a little bit deeper. So that's your take-home assignment. Let's close and bring it to a finish with verse 11. Not to expound on it, but just to have this verse tie it all together. Paul says, after all this, and after you've been so attentive this morning, rolling up your sleeves and leaning in, he says, all these are the work of of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, not the select few, just as he determines. So there you have it. That is our beginning. I'm so thrilled for you to come back next week, even to send me an email or a text and say, I I got it. This makes sense. And let us know what gift you've been given. It is time to find out And it's time to get onto the field together. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, this might be the end of this morning's message, the sermon. But we feel that you are just beginning to speak to us in a new and fresh way about these things. And Lord, I confess, maybe across 12 years, I have been negligent to get us here sooner. That the full beauty and breadth and power of spiritual gifts at work in the body would be alive and well and on display. Lord, I pray that you would bless the homework that we've given, the digging deeper, the thinking, the praying, the reading of 1 Corinthians 14. And we do entrust this beginning to you, Lord. I pray especially for those who have felt like maybe they just attend church Maybe they're just trying to get here on a regular basis. They've maybe never given consideration to the gift that you have given to them. I pray, Lord, for such an exciting stretch ahead that your Holy Spirit would be at work among us for the good of your people and for your greater glory. We pray in Christ's name, one who is Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.